Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us that hardships are a reason for surrender, not pride. Pride goes before destruction, a haunting spirit before the fall. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, Paul says. We are never so safe as when we are going through testings and trials. That's the safest place for us to be because it keeps us dependent upon God. It's when we come to a place of complacency and prosperity and peace that we get ourselves in trouble. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One familiar simple truth and biblical principle is, you reap what you sow. Now, most people look at the negative side of this promise. But what happens when you sow repentance and offer up a cry to God for help? Today, Pastor Xavier explores just that as he continues his verse-by-verse look into the leaders of Israel and their response to the Word of God. Let's join him now in the book of Second Chronicles for today's important lesson. Second Chronicles, chapter 31. We're in the reign of Hezekiah. He has brought certain restoration to the temple. He has kept the Passover. And now when all this was finished, verse 31, or verse 1 of chapter 31 says, All Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. And so we see that Hezekiah was a good king. A king who loved the Lord, a king who desired to follow after the Word of God. And there's always a certain movement of God in the people of God when there is godly leadership, when there is vision, when there is exhortation, when there is a call to obey God's Word, when there's a proclamation of God's Word to those who don't know God. And it's an opportunity for many to see God work in the heart of men. And so Hezekiah had given this opportunity as he had uh, yielded to the Lord. In verse 2, Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, uh, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings, peace offerings, to serve and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. Remember, a lot of this had been done away with because of the pagan worship that had been going on. The king also appointed the portion for his possessions for the burnt offerings in the morning, the evening, the new moons, the set feast. And so he began to establish the set order of feast and, and the services according to the order that David had established. In verse 4, he commanded the people who dwell in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites and they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So they had been disobedient They had cut off from their giving to God what belonged to God so that the work of God could continue. And now he reestablished this. As soon as he commanded, verse 5 says, the commandment was circulated. The children of Israel brought in abundance their first fruits and they brought them abundance of the tithe in everything. And the children of Israel, verse 6 says of Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithes of oxen, sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, and they laid it in heaps. And in the third month, they began 
laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. The first month is April, so you have to count from April onward. And as the king Hezekiah, when, when he and the leaders came and they saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. There's always a blessing when you see the obedience of God's people to the word of God. When man is pressured, it, um, it is just not a work of God. And you can pressure people to such an extent that there is plenty to do the work. But what a difference when it's the work of the Spirit of God. The people do it willingly of their heart in a loving giving of what belongs to God. Azariah the priest in verse 10 from the house of Zadok answered him saying, Since the people began to bring the offering in the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people and what is left is this great abundance. So Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. Then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and dedicated things. And Konaniah, the Levite, was a ruler over them. And his brother also, Shemaiah, gives the names of others that are there. Verse 14, Korah, and many more there, uh, keepers of the east gate. And under him, in verse 15, was Edom, and um, Nimni. Amen, uh, Jeshua and Shemiah, Amariah, and the other guys. And besides these, verse 16 says, besides those males from three years old and up, they were written in the genealogy. They distribute to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of the service of his division. And so really he reestablishes here the work of the temple for the service, the priests, the Levites, all that was commanded by God through Moses and how David has established the order. And so... In every work that he began in the service of the house of God, the law and the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, verse 21 says, so he prospered. And that's always the case when we meditate on the word of God, when we are obedient to the word of God. You know, it's so easy to become so knowledgeable of the word of God, but it's easy to sidestep those little things, those daily obediences, those things that God desires us to be and to do. And it's almost like, well, you know, I, I'm so disciplined, I'm so diligent in other areas that really God's not going to mind this. And yet God desires obedience, not sacrifice. He desires us to be open to Him and obedient to Him and not try to deceive ourselves. Now in chapter 32, Sennacherib boasts against the Lord. It says, after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the spring which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs of the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself. He built up the wall that was broken. He raised it up to the towers. He built other walls outside. Also, he repaired Milo and the city of David and made um, weapons and shields in abundance. Then he sent military captains over the people. He gathered them together to him, and he opened the square of the city gate and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. And so he is a man of faith. It's interesting that even though Hezekiah was being obedient to the Lord, 
Have you ever found that when you're being obedient to the Lord, testings still come? And somehow we think if we can just be obedient or do certain things consistently, then we're going to get to a place where no trials, no testings. Well, you're right about that. That place is when you leave this world and you're glorified, but not before. And so God is always faithful to keep us on our toes, dependent on him. The king of Assyria here came to challenge God, not Hezekiah. He prepared himself. He wasn't just foolish. He used his head. And he encouraged his people, saying that there were more with them than those that had come against them. For verse 8 says, With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battle. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And after this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. But he himself and all the forces with him laid siege against Laish. So he sent some ambassadors, not himself. He sent them to Hezekiah, king of Judah. And to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, And what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Now notice what had happened. Idolatry had become so prevalent in Israel and in Judah that the heathen of the land, when they heard that Hezekiah had taken down all the thrones, all the altars, all the idolatry, they had identified that worship with Jehovah. And now all of a sudden they say, well, Hezekiah has torn all your altars. Who are you going to trust in? And there's always a dangerous people would look at the church and see a false manner of worship. It happens all the time with religion. The world classifies Christianity in just one big bundle, religion. Or they classify Christianity with everything that exists in the name of religion. And they don't distinguish between the two. And so he is challenging him. In verse 13 he says, Do you not know what I and my father's house have done to all the people of the other lands? Were the gods of the nation of those lands in any way able to deliver them or the land out of our hand? Who was there among all the gods of those lands that my father utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? This was his mistake. Now he's crossing the territory and challenging God. Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this. And do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? And the servant spoke even more against the Lord God and against the servant Hezekiah. And so verbally he confronted them. Verbally he challenged God. And then he wrote a letter in verse 17 and sent that to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him saying, As the gods of the nations or other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were in the wall to frighten them and to trouble them, and they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, the works of man's hand. Now for this cause, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. So you have to insert Isaiah at this point when you get into the rule of Hezekiah. And so the king and Hezekiah got together. They prayed. They cried out to heaven. Hezekiah and kings cross-referenced that in uh, Kings chapter 19 and 20. You need to read that. And he rolled out the letter 
And they prayed unto God. And in verse 21, the Lord sent an angel, one angel, who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain of the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. The king says that 185,000 were struck dead that night. And when the morning came, they were all dead. 185,000, one little angel. Jude says he comes back with 10,000 of his saints and with myriads of angels to set up his kingdom. And thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others who guided them on every side. In verse 23, many brought gifts to the Lord of Jerusalem and presented them to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that there was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. Now in verse 24, Hezekiah became sick. And his sickness was near unto death, and he prayed to the Lord. Hezekiah thought himself to be in the prime of life. A prophet came to him and said, set your house in order, you're going home. Hezekiah began to complain and to murmur. And God gave him 15 extra years to live. Now, God's perfect will is always best. It would seem that in places within the scriptures, there is a place for God's permissive will. That does not mean that we change the mind of God through prayer, but that at times, if we are persistent enough, there is God's second best that he allows. God's second best is always exactly that. God's second best, not first best. As we continue in our study, we're going to get to chapter 33 when Manasseh was the most wicked king of Israel. And yet he was born unto Hezekiah in the third year of the extension of the 15 years. It would have been much better for Hezekiah to go home than to have given birth to the most wicked king. And so something for you to think about for yourself. God gave him a sign. Kings tells us that he moved back the sundown certain degrees, and that would be the sign to him that he would not die but live 15 years longer. In verse 25, But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And the reference to this is that after he was healed, people from Babylon came. They brought gifts because they heard of his healing. He began to show them all the treasures of his house, of the temple. Isaiah the prophet came in and walked in and says, what, who are these men? He says, oh, they have just come from far off and they come to honor me. He says, what did you show them? He says, there's nothing that I didn't show them. He says, you have done foolishly because they're going to come back and they're going to take everything away from here. And this is what the reference says between verse 24 and 26. Pride. Pride goes before destruction, a haunting spirit before the fall. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, Paul says. We are never so safe as when we are going through testings and trials. That's the safest place for us to be because it keeps us dependent upon God. It's when we come to a place of complacency and prosperity and peace that we get ourselves in trouble. Verse 27, Hezekiah had 
very great riches and honor. He made himself treasures of silver, gold, precious stones, spices for shields and for all the kinds of desirable items, storehouses for the harvest, and enumerates just different cities for him that he had made. And he stopped the water pool, verse 30 says, in the upper Gion, and brought the water by the tunnel of the west side of the city of David. That's the tunnel of Hezekiah that goes 1,700 feet from the pool of Gihon to the pool of Siloam, bringing water through. In verse 31, however, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonders that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, his deeds, the written vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, the book of the kings also of Judah of Israel. And so Hezekiah rested with his fathers and Manasseh's son reigned in his place. Chapter 33, we get the reign of Manasseh. He was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. The longest reign of any king, and yet he was the most wicked next to Ahab. And so he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 2 says, according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. The warning in Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 18, not to do as the nations, not to do as a practice of the abominations of those nations. And yet, this is exactly what happened. They did not destroy them all. They became a snare to them. They inquired of their practices and therefore they polluted themselves. And so he built high places of worship with Hezekiah. His father had broken down he raised altars for Baals, the different gods of the regions, wooden images, Asherahs or Ashrams, worshipped the astrology, modern-day horoscope, served the host of heaven. He built altars in the house of the Lord, verse 4 and verse 5 says, even in the courts. In verse 6, he caused his sons and his daughters to pass through the fire, the worship of Molech, the fertility goddess. He practiced Susain, witchcraft, sorcery, he consulted mediums and spirits and did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He said, carved images, verse 7 says, in the house of God. And God says that's where he had put his name forever. So it was a direct challenge to God. In verse 8, he says, So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Notice that. He seduced the people to do more evil than the nations. Now the Lord spoke to Manasseh in verse 10 and his people, but they would not listen. Tradition has it that it was Manasseh who sawed Isaiah in half with a wooden saw. Hebrews 11 speaks of those who were sodden too. It is believed by tradition that it was Isaiah who was sodden too, and it was King Manasseh who did it. All day long, Paul tells the children of Israel, God says, I have stretched my arm unto you, but you have killed the prophets. You have not paid heed. And so therefore the Lord brought judgment upon him by raising up the king of Assyria, verse 11 says, and he took Manasseh away with hooks and bound him in fetters, bronze fetters, and carried him to Babylon. And so God will do anything to get your attention. God will bring you down to your knees. God will break you. God will bring you down to the bottom if it is going to make you look up. That's God's pursuit of man. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so often we have this uh, picture of God that he's some kind of angry person. He's just waiting to snuff people out. But I want you to have the picture of a loving father who is brokenhearted seeking out his children. In the garden, 
It wasn't Adam that went looking for God, but it was God who said, Where art thou, Adam? That's the picture of a loving father, not an angry policeman. He is still seeking out today. Now verse 12 says that when he was afflicted, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord as God and he humbled himself greatly before God and his father. And he prayed to him and he received his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And Manasseh knew the Lord that he was God. And so we see that if there's hope for Manasseh, there's got to be hope for you and I. There's God's grace. Chapter 33 is a fantastic picture of the grace of God, the sufficiency of the grace of God. There is no man so wicked beyond the grace of God. There is no sin so heinous that God cannot forgive. But he needs your repentance, a godly repentance, a genuine turnaround which brings a change of life as we see in the life of Manasseh beginning verse 14. He was restored. He built again the walls of the city of David from the west side of Gion, the valley as far as the entrance of Fishgate. He enclosed Ophel. He raised up great walls in their height. He put military captains to fortify the city. And he began to do things for the people, not just for himself. He took away the foreign gods. He cleansed the land of idols, verse 15 says. And he established the worship of Jehovah, verse 16 says, offering sacrifices. But the tragic result still, though he had repented, there were many people who were still caught up in the snare that he had established. Verse 17 says, Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in the high hills, high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to God, the words of the seer spoke to him. In the name of the Lord God, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. Also his prayer and how God received the entreaty of him is given to us elsewhere. Manasseh rested with his father, verse 20 says, they buried him in his own house, and his son Ammon reigned in his place. Verse 21 through 25 gives us his reign. Very brief account. He was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done, for Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. He did not humble himself before the Lord, as his father Manasseh, had humbled himself, and Ammon trespassed more and more. Then his servants conspired against him, killed him in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. And so you see that even though there are good influences, each individual son has a choice, a free will. You know, you can be a godly parent and you can... You can really bless your children with your dedication, with your prayers, with your instruction. And your kids can rebel because they have a free will. On the other hand, you have some people that really aren't that godly. They really don't pray for, pray for their kids that much. They really aren't too concerned about their spiritual life. And yet their kids seem to turn out okay. One little thing makes a difference. Each one of us has a free will. My children have to exercise it. My example, my prayers, my teaching, my instruction will help. But the bottom line is they have a free will. But continue to pray for them. Trust God for them, for the training, the word that you've given them. And don't make any compromise with them. And God will honor you honoring Him instead of honoring your children. That's a hard, hard thing to do but we dare not honor our children before we honor God. Pastor Xavier Reed.
peace with simple truths for being a godly parent. Now, you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's still much more to come of today's verse-by-verse study right here next time as well. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is 2 Chronicles chapters 31 through 36. Now once again, ask for the in-depth study titled 2 Chronicles chapters 31 through 36 when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com